everybody. Welcome to episode 142 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I'm one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. I'm another host, Mr. Paul Robinson, and today is a very special episode today. You want to tell the people why it's very special? Because we have a guest? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. We do, indeed. And it's a, it's a, um, ever since I saw the short, I've been wanting to talk because this is yeah. someone I can talk shop with and yeah. I can talk creative with. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun. So um, tell I us who you are. I can't wait to hear who this person is. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to wait for him to come on, yeah, and then it's going to be we'll amazing. figure it out. <laughs> Tell us who you are, good sir. Hi. Thanks for having me. My name's Nick Arioli, and uh, like you guys, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, and stoked to be here. Nice. nice. Well, we're, we're very happy that you agreed to come on. I don't, yeah. I'm not sure what she paid you, but it's fine. <laughs> what she leveraged. It's private. Um, yeah, so I, I have a, I will sort of... Uh, stalk YouTube weekly and just look at new things, shorts and things that people are doing. And um, I, uh, I'm i a huge like Pixar kind of like nerd on the little shorts that they do. I love those. And I tend to almost like those more than the movies. Like I'm usually more excited about those than I sometimes I'm even the movies. And so I saw um, Coin Operated and I thought it was a Pixar thing. And I was like, oh, Pixar came out with another short. And I could, didn't even read the title. I was just so excited because just looking at the quality, I was like, this is like a total Pixar short. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, this is a Pixar. <laughs> I was like, who did this? Um, and, you know, I mean, we've found a lot of really talented uh, animators online. And it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting that uh, the first thing that people think, including myself, when we see good quality animation is Pixar. And everyone assumes that you must work for Pixar full time if you know how to do this type of work, and uh, which is nay. <laughs> There's a that you know I, I think like Pixar kind of, to my knowledge, and you correct me because you're the animator, but they kind of like brought that quality of animation to you know to the masses. Before that, we were you know dealing with hand drawn, and um, and so they kind of bumped that up. But now it's like they sort of own it, and anyone everyone just assumes like you must be affiliated with Pixar. It's like no, it's. It's a method anyone can learn. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, just happens to be that Pixar sort of populated it, I guess. Yeah, I'm really glad you you dug the short, first of all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I take it as a huge compliment anytime I'm in the same breath as Pixar. Um, <laughs> they're, they really do deserve to have that reputation as like the pinnacle because they've made so many terrific movies, yeah. you know, uh, like they deserve that. And you know, Ratatouille, The Incredibles are, mm-hmm. are a couple of my absolute favorite films. Just just straight film. Yeah, just straight films. Um, so, yeah, but it is uh, it's rare that you see um, animation of a certain kind of caliber outside of mm-hmm. the big studios because it's pretty difficult to do independently. So that's actually one of the things I'm most proud of about Coin Operated is that we were able to make something like that as a truly independent film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, we're, I mean, we're going to have links to everything, but uh, it's not just because you're a guest. It's, it's just I ha- I'm such a mush when it comes to an adorable cartoon. Well, that's the thing, right? That, that Pixar <laughs> I'm very much kind a girl of, in that way. The thing that kind of Pixar nailed is, is you know, the, the, the ability to render high quality images is yeah. um, getting easier and easier. But the ability to tell a good story is always difficult. And that's yeah. kind of because like we're dealing like right now I, we're in the process of animating a short film as well and Hell so yeah and Congrats. so thanks well he more so, is well, yeah. I, I wrote it but and the did idea some direction is with... like you can get in someone like me i can get really bogged down in the details and wanting every frame to look perfect but it's like at the end of the day 
look, there's going to be people out there that are 10 times better animators than me, 10 times better at compositing and this, but they will never be able to tell my, this story, the story that we're telling, you know? And so, um, I think that's the, that's the big difference is that every render, every frame doesn't have to be perfect. Same, same was making a film, you know, if there's a shot that's not, you're happy with this is blown out or if you're not happy with the composition, but the story is there so you can get lost in that. And so, I think that while the while your rendering quality is absolutely Pixar level in mm -hmm. my opinion, I think the storytelling is really what brings it over the edge. Thanks, man. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's a whole rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> yeah. Like you know how hard you're peeping at every pixel because mm -hmm. when it's your film, you're looking at every frame, especially mm -hmm. animation where you have so much control over the frame. Yeah. You know, it's not live action. Right. You know, you get your actors, you get your location, your set, your lights. You know, a few ingredients, then you just kind of get what you get animation nothing comes for free every yeah. sound had to be thought of yep. and designed mm -hmm. every little prop or background color or whatever had to be thought of and designed and that's very double-edged mm -hmm. yeah and inevitably what is going to happen for most people is that by the time you're done with the film i know this will happen with me it's already started where the techniques and stuff you've learned by the end of it, you're like, well, I should have done it at the first, at the beginning. So now do I go back and restart it? You know what I <laughs> totally. mean? So, you know, totally. I'm, as a filmmaker, I'm notorious for um, hanging on the first shot, you know? Like I do, I, I, they joke because I do like a lot of takes and stuff and, but not, not like a lot, not like Kubrick a lot, but like, <laughs> like, you know, six or seven takes or whatever. But um, with the first take, for some reason, I have this thing with the first shot. Because once we cut, once we move on from the first shot, that's it. There's no going back, which is the same for any shot. But for some reason, that first shot, because we generally like to to shoot in chronological order, we've we been can. for the most part, and so it's that first scene that you just want to be better than all the rest. Because you got to, you got to, you know, they're gonna judge you on that. So um, same with an animated film. You know, you want that first thing to be good. So I don't know really where I'm going with this point, but. <laughs> but but Fantastic. the point is, is that like, is, is, I guess that you can, you can get really lost in those details, both in an animated film and on, on a, on a short film, but the animated film, you spend so much more time on that. You learn that much more versus a shoot where I you're totally there for like a get, week or two weeks or whatever. I'm totally on board with that first shot mattering more. I think that's actually just true as in the audience. Like yeah. that's where you're sort of kind of going to take in the production quality of this whole thing. Yeah. Like, and if you can really wow someone right off the bat, I think you buy yourself some time to get them into your story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was so an interesting... I agree with, I agree with that. But yeah, then but... for the rest of it, like if you have little fuck-ups here and there, as long as it doesn't like kick someone off the ride, mm -hmm. yeah, you, I think you can get away with a lot more. Like there's things in my movie that I know like, oh shit, that's like this hand just goes right through this railing and we didn't catch it until <laughs> later, but no one sees it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And so no one like pops out of the experience mm -hmm. but yeah. in the process. We had some things that were like, we have to redo this because people are getting distracted. Yeah. And okay. you, you'll lose someone. They'll go, Oh, that was kind of silly. And the spell is, is broken and whatever, you know, sort of magic of movies that works so well on me where you just show them this, rectangle and image and play coordinated sound and you're in it man yeah 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 it can get broken in animation that spell so you have to you know pick your battles but you the things that break it you got to fix yeah and that's that's tricky too because as somebody that's so invested in it it's sometimes it's hard to judge 
because you will watch your film or whoever will watch their own film and see all of those errors um, like under a magnifying glass, but so many people won't. And it's sometimes it's hard to tell what people are going to, what's going to trigger some people to get kicked out of the film or not, you know, for you, like a a hand being like intersected with a, with a pole or something is the end of the world, but some, most people probably won't even notice it. Yep. So I find that that is a very fine line. Yeah. One of the sort of unsung jobs of the director, that's probably, I find one of the hardest jobs of the director is to keep your eyes fresh. Mm. Yeah. You know, going through a process, living with a film. I mean, this is a five minute short and I worked on it sort of off and on for two years. Mm. So that's a lot of just time with yeah, the yeah. same five mm-hmm. minutes in your head. And so keeping your eyes fresh is really a challenge. Yeah. Well, when we, when we edit, I'll, I'll edit something. I mean, we kind of have each other, other's backs with that. Cause if she's writing something, I can kind of approach it with fresh eyes. And if I'm editing something, once the scene is done or the moment's done, she can kind of look at it from a fresh perspective and see if it's working or not, you know. And generally, it probably isn't, and I have to redo it. <laughs> <laughs> not true. No, but there have been a couple times that I can see, like, on on your face that you're not quite sold on the edit of yeah. that scene. And I'm like, so, you know, the, I'm like, what is he not happy with? Because you make, like, this face, like, is she going to find it? Can she figure it yeah, out? That's probably. And then most I'll of watch it, yeah. it, and I'm like, "Why is this here? And this, this, this should be." And he's like, "That's what it was." <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Okay, you know." So, um, I I couldn't fix it because I'm not an editor, but I I always say it's, um, it's like that that second hand, you know, where I can tell you what's wrong. I just don't know how to fix it. You know, I watch something like I don't know how to fix that, but here's where you went wrong. Be a great um, producer. I'm sorry. I used to stress about this stuff so much. And then I came across one of the reasons why I love your guys' podcasts. I just love hearing other filmmakers talk. I, I yeah. go and listen to, you know, the directors I admire and my filmmaker heroes and when they do interviews. And something that kind of chilled me out about what we're talking about right now was this interview I found with Wes Anderson talking about his first feature. And he was talking about how he knew certain parts of the movie worked well and certain parts he hadn't quite nailed whether it was in the edit or in the script or wherever it was. And his experience of like sitting in the movie theater with those early test audiences and watching it with them and just being like, okay, oh fuck, oh fuck. If I can make it through this next <laughs> like like 20 seconds and people don't like check their phone or get yeah. up and go pee, like I then I know I'm good for the next like 11 minutes and then it's <laughs> fucked again. <laughs> and he, it was like a whole string of these things. He's and, got a graph of his film of where people might check out. Yeah, exactly. Cell phone usage like he knows fail. he didn't quite get this. Is like this is inelegant right here. Like how I have to tie these threads together. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I make a whole sequence that just sings for my own personal taste. And mm-hmm. and I just thought I really like related to that. Because even yeah. writ small on, on a my five minute short, I have that where I'm yeah. going, okay. I know I've got like 30 great seconds. I lose nobody here. And then and then I have a, a couple shots that I'm like, I don't know why, but I didn't. It's okay. It's just okay. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yep. And then I'm okay again once I get through that. Yeah. It's interesting too because it's it, it can be like the most random things. Oh, you totally. know, and I, and I think a lot of it too, for, especially for for me, is is the story behind. Like we have moments in in our film, A Vital Sign, where I'm just like in love with this shot or this, you know, this composition or whatever, and you know, nobody else will feel that way about it. And it's like, you know, it's all personal taste, obviously, but I feel like a lot of it too is like what it took to get that shot, you know, and why you love that shot, which 
you know, it was another reason why we hate dumping things in the edit yeah. and all that one stuff. One of my but. favorite moments, which sounds silly, but one of my favorite moments didn't make the final cut just because we had to cut things down time-wise. And I'm still slightly miffed about it, but, but it is what it is. But um, Gotta kill your babies. I, just, I know. Kill your babies. Uh, but... The thing with the, see the thing with animation that that amazes me is that it's hard enough to tell a story in five minutes as a narrative. It's very difficult. Um, I think when a when a five minute short blows you away, that says a lot about the writing and the performance mm. and just generally the entire makeup of of a five minute uh, you know unanimated narrative. It's like how do you your story and the impact has to be so precise because you have such a little time to tell the story and there's no you don't know there's no time for details i can't give you background character information i've got nothing and then when on top of that i feel like an animation is 10 times harder than that because you don't have like this lovely lush scene to cut to you'll lose people in an animation it's like people want entertainment non-stop in in an artsy dramatic film you can even have no dialogue you know, and just be looking at the expression of somebody's face and then this sprawling valley and you're looking at cinematography and you're like, oh, you can get caught up in that. There's no time for that in animation. Like there's no like I'm going to sit, I'm going to take a 30 second break and just give you visuals with nothing. You don't have that uh, that luxury. And so I, I think anima um, writing animated stories is so tough. That's so tough. Uh, I can't imagine, you know, a feature like people that write. Pixar's films and stuff like it's like how the hell do you and and they're like they're just wizards at it you know it the humor that that that's usually in these types of of, of animations yours as well also in like just the expression that a character has uh, just like the way the coin goes in the yeah. time the, that it the takes slightly that, exaggerated yeah that but anticipation not too... of like eh, yeah. you know um, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. You know, it, I, I totally and, and we all I mean, I, I, maybe more so city kids remember those things. They don't yeah. have them here in the burbs, really. But, you know, in the city, we we're always like, oh, can I get a quarter to get on that thing that goes nowhere? Yeah. So, like, yeah. Or does it? Or does it? <laughs> um, so as soon yeah, well, as I grew up, I grew up in, in Manhattan. So we had. Yeah, them, you had you know, said chained that. in front of every exactly. pizza place and video store. And... Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that was my draw to it because I remember always wanting to get on those. I, you know, I think it's a, a stronger impulse with the city kids because we just they were everywhere. And, uh, you know, they don't do anything, <laughs> really, <laughs> but you always wanted to get in it. And uh, so when I saw, just like when I when I started watching this, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I totally relate to this child wanting this thing to go somewhere. And then just the progression and, uh, you know, the the time passing. And it was like this. It was just I, I hate to say it because it sounds so dopey, but it was just sweet. You know, it was just like such oh, no, a I've, sweet. Thank you. I, I've, you know? <laughs> I'm like the the queen of darkness over here, but you know, but I have my soft spots, and and I just I was like, I, I this take is it such as a, a compliment that it got through the the shell, the reactive shell of yeah, darkness. Yeah, it went yeah. through the Vader in me, and <laughs> yeah. it just yeah. got me through right the, the in the hard heart. chocolate shell to the it did. soft yeah. nougat center. I, I had a, a uh, Return of the Jedi moment. Yeah, <laughs> the mask comes off. Yeah, and... <laughs> I, I I nothing gets me like an animation. I absolutely yeah. absolutely love them, and um. Normally, I'm very, uh, I'm sort of like a tech curmudgeon. Uh, I'm like that with photography. I, I, my love for photography died as soon as I am. As soon as it went digital, I was like, this sucks. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, 
I, like I, I, I don't want to have ultimate control over my creative process. <laughs> no, it's, it's crazy. It's, <laughs> it's the surprise. That's what made it magical. Being in the, a, I mean, like I actually was in a dark room. Like I developed my film. That's very different from what you have now where you're like garbage, garbage, perfect, garbage, garbage, perfect. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, Where's this? this top left of this co- image is perfect. Yeah, and I'll marry it with the bottom right it, of this one. There's no element of surprise anymore. It's just this totally. really technical moment so, that I was lost. I want to draw a parallel between that and something you just said earlier, and I, because I have a question for you guys. Because you were talking earlier about like animation, Pixar, and sort of my films, just like you're like, it's impressive that you can kind of get so much happening in five minutes without dialogue. Mm-hmm. And in animation, and Pixar for sure, certainly for me, the way we do it is storyboard the shit out of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of the answer. Um, and I used to, but you maybe you worry that you lose a little sort of spontaneity and a little magic, especially mm-hmm. if you're talking about live action. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's some trade off there. But I used to really stress because I was like, okay, I, I want to make movies. Like my whole life, I've wanted to do this. And I'll watch a movie that's just really, really tight, like like Witness or you know any it could be anything. That's mm-hmm. just the one that sprung to my mind. Um, Jaws, you know, whatever. And you're like, fuck every single shot is developing this character, pushing the plot forward. It's beautiful in its own right. Mm -hmm. It's advancing this B storyline. It's thematically on point. It's doing so much work, every single shot. Like, And it was so impressive that it was intimidating to me Mm because I was like, how do you do that? And then when people say that I achieved something like that in my film, I go, oh, I cheated because I just like storyboarded it until that worked. And now I don't know how to feel about storyboards no like, i think i think yeah. story- like some of my heroes don't use storyboards at all but yeah. some of my heroes like like bong joon ho is like storyboards everything yeah, yeah. yeah. my question is how do you guys feel about storyboards i think it's a personal preference but i think there's a there's an art it's its own art to be able to storyboard i feel like a lot of people that not all but a lot of people like in the in the indie level really indie level that don't storyboard say they don't do it because they can't well, I'll often we, hear that like, oh, that's I, we, I can't get in. It's, it's so much work. I don't know how to draw well, no, no. or well, whatever. It's not that. Well, we do storyboard because most of it is necessity because we're anal retentive. <laughs> well, no, because because and we don't have a lot of time. We're doing so much of it ourselves. Yeah. And there's we really have no room to kind of most of the time because we're funding it ourselves. So everything's so tight that we have to have the storyboard. And um, uh, there are I try to we go into every film storyboarded everything ready to go but you have to be ready to throw it all away and because you know some light's not going to work or someone's going to be late or the Mm -hmm. scene isn't working for whatever reason the sun's this it's raining one day whatever it is it's a million things that can go wrong so you have to be really as you know you have to be really kind of pliable in that way but at the same time for us being prepared is so important because it's all we're doing some we're doing way too much to leave any of it to be like, let's just be creative on set. I have to wait for the inspiration. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I think if, if lighting is I'd scene, love to. Like if, if we could afford <laughs> to actually hire a DP and he didn't have to be the DP, then we'd be like, yeah, that's your job to light that scene. Like, I don't, you know, I don't have to worry about whether that's going to be lit properly because I've seen your work and you know what you're doing and great. Um, but because he's doing the cinematography and he's directing, there's no time for that. So he likes to go in knowing at least where that light should be and you know because before the storyboarding i mean it would be hours we're shooting a 10 minute scene we would be on set for hours and hours and 60 percent of that was lighting move it here 
no, move it here. Yeah. No, move it here. Get me a gel. No, get me a diffuser. And it was like, oh my. Then we were like, as the actors, we were like asleep on the corner, like, just call me when you need me. Like, it's 1230 in the morning now. Yeah. Like, and so there's still, it takes a lot of time because we don't have a lot of help. But now that he's able, because he storyboards like, he's. Well, he goes way, way. He like animates the scenes and I'll do like some animatics. I like to storyboard yeah, in three D because yeah, he I, does like a whole three D animation. Because well, it's because I love that. yeah, because I can play like I can play and find my shots in there. You know what I mean? And know like you know if totally. we were, we shot uh, the last thing we just shot in a camper and it, the space was really tight. So I'm like, all right, well, let me just recreate this rough dimension so i i know exactly where my was camera like can be and what lens i'll need to get so. of trying to find that camper online he's like what's the what's the the model of the camper and then like just I, online I the trying dimensions. to find the dimensions yeah. for it yeah and so like for me that's that's the way i like to do it because it, it takes a lot of that boringness quote unquote out of the process because i can find angles and play with shots and maybe just do a quick animatic to see how the this kind of scene is coming together and stuff so um that's and fun. I found it, another useful thing is I can play with the other tools of film that I think are really important, like music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, I mean, another big job of the director is just to get what you see, like mind meld with some other people that you're working with on your team. Like, hey, I just like I hire great people and then I need to mind meld with them and get them to understand the thing we're making and why it's going to be dope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And storyboards or an animatic is just so good for that. Yeah. Like, yeah, here's this is where your piece fits in. And here's all the room you have as an artist to elevate it and make it better than I could have ever imagined. Like, here's mm -hmm. some space for you. And here are your walls. And if, if you're in here, you can do anything, make it as great and as wacky or as whatever mm -hmm. you want, and it'll fit and work great. Mm -hmm. And like, if you can communicate that to your team with an animatic or with storyboards, I just, I think it's great. But then with live action, I'm sort of like, my dooming myself to like a with storyboarding it all to like a really rigid, stodgy, magicless experience. I don't know. Well, I can ask about it on this podcast with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, for us, it's never been a problem because no film shoot will go according to any plan ever. Yeah. So there's still so much of that, those moments in, 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 uh, you know, both good and bad that happened that, um, that, at least for me, it doesn't take anything out of, of that experience of finding the moment on, on, on the set. And a lot of times the storyboards, as meticulous as I'll get with them, I'll get on set and be like, you know what? I just, I want to shoot from over here. Mm -hmm. I just, I want to shoot from over here. And then you just do it. And so I use them more as a guide, I guess, than like something to be real stringent about. It's a suggestion, yeah. if you will. It's, it's kind of like your fallback plan, you know, because you go in with this plan and then you get there and things, you got to be ready to, you know, that speaks to your ability, whoever's ability to be able to like, I love that pressure. I love the pressure of when you're on set and it's like things are going wrong or things are going great. And then you got to think on your feet and like figure things out. Like, I like that. I like that. Because then when you solve that problem, you feel like a hero, you know, to yourself. Nobody else cares because you figured out how to light a scene. Nobody <laughs> gives a shit. But to yourself, you're like, yes, I did it. <laughs> I'm probably being colored by like the way whatever you last read or last listened to or last watched, like casts a pall over your whole self. For yeah, the next, yeah. Like, like however much time. Yeah. The last thing I read last night was I went through all of the storyboards for Parasite. Okay. And it's it's shot for shot perfect. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And and but well, that's on that perfect, budget, I think you can afford to be. <laughs> but that's a perfect example of that. That's just how that 
particular filmmaker gets their vision mm -hmm. the most crisp. And for somebody else, it isn't. It's just more off the top, you know. And um, you know, some it, it's like you know somebody can just freehand a sketch, and somebody else just wants to kind of throw a light pencil sketch over it to just kind of get an idea of where they're going. You still get like an awesome picture at the end of it, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think of it as like whatever gets you, whatever gets me that result. You do whatever, <laughs> whatever gets you to that. But to your point, easiest. I think it for us anyway. You know, working on the the lower level stuff, it's a really great way to communicate what you want everybody to do because you don't have a lot of times you don't have a lot of pre production time. You know, we met our sound guy like the, the day of. You know, we the were shooting. Main so reason for storyboarding. People can see what what know exactly what's going. on. And yes, it'll change, and they yeah. they're, they're all aware of that. But at least they know like, all right, these guys. They know what they're doing. They're they're they they have a plan. They have a <laughs> we vision. We look like we know what we're yeah. doing. That's and that's the biggest the thing is to trick yeah. people into thinking you know what you're doing. Yeah, we've succeeded on <laughs> that. Like Werner Herzog be like the storyboard is the tool of the coward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna yeah. I I there's 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 so much pretentiousness in this business. There's enough to go around. <laughs> so it's just like whatever. Like I I don't really care. I mean, the main reason why we started storyboarding was just because we didn't have access to locations prior. It was always a place that they were like, you can film on these days, but it was still somebody's house. It was like we didn't want to be like, hey, can we come over 14 times before the shoot to test shot? No. So that's when he kind of just started going. You know what? I'm bringing my tape and measure. A, <laughs> tape measure. Yeah. Go in once, look at it, tape measure everything, and then take all the measurements and then and do even, a 3D even, of even it. blacking out some really rough lighting ideas, you know, with, with 3D rendering now and the, how how sort of accurate the lighting can be. You can rough out some ideas. I mean, obviously it's gonna change once you get there, obviously, but you know, like if you want how you want the scene to be portrayed from a lighting perspective, you can kind of start toying with concepts and ideas in that stage as well. And that that helps speed things up because then, you know, you along with your experience of lighting, you know, you can also like try something new and 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 maybe if you have time on set to 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 just go for it. That's um. This is another thing where just animation has such an advantage, like because you could just cheat everything. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, the way this is like actually set, there's no depth in this shot that I have. Like this is the shot that I want. It works great, but there's no depth in it. Well, I'll just move this wall yeah. Yeah, yeah. way back. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's, that's think, a... And it's interesting the way, like, just I think animation and live action are just going to slowly converge over time. So these, you know, skills are pretty malleable. Mm -hmm. But it reminds me of um, just one of the all-time movie deaths on screen. Just one of the great movie deaths of all time is in Titanic. The guy who hits the propeller. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The back. Dunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like that's up there with like Marvin and Pulp Fiction and like all the great yeah. movie deaths of that one <laughs> little guy. And I found a short documentary about that moment. Oh, oh wow. Really? And it was like really cheated. They were oh. like, oh, he's this, this boat's not as big as like this movie makes it seem. Like, mm -hmm. yes, it's called Titanic. Yes, it's very big. But like they were only like maybe 80 feet in the air yeah, at this time. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like you want to have this like five second shot of this dude falling like. I probably just like fell and hit the water like a second later right. and it yeah. just feels dinky. And so the way they cheated it is they had that sort of stunt guy on a plate and they have him shrink like they literally oh, like wow. the plate size as he falls. Oh, mm. interesting. Little um, shout out Cinefix. Yeah. And the <laughs> propeller guy, wherever yeah. he may be. <laughs> yeah. 
Because I knew immediately when you said the propeller. Yeah, I remember because we all no, were I hearing mean, that sound. No, I that's an old time. That's Think. in the pantheon of movie deaths <laughs> yeah. is yeah. that one, that one random that poor death. bastard. <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, uh, here's the thing. I realized that you obviously can, can cheat uh, in terms of animation because you're not actually having to physically light a scene, but... Well, you I physically think, light it, but then you're yeah, like, well, I'll not, put this light wherever yeah, I want because I could just turn it off. Right. You, you, you can <laughs> you manipulate that yeah. in, in whatever way that you want. But um, I think one of the things that, that sort of threw Pixar, kind of pushed them through the roof with animation was that they started to incorporate lighting and this really amazing lighting. And um, you had that great lighting to the sun, the way the sun is coming through. And it looks like, so, like we watched um, Soul. And I was, there were moments that Terrific I was like, film. this legitimately looks like they were in Chelsea with a camera. If there weren't cartoons running around, that building looks like an actual building is lit by, it looks like it's like golden hour. Photo real. In the city. <laughs> Low key, one of the great film New Yorks. What? Um, actually, a couple have been animation. The, the recent uh, Peter Ramsey Spider-Man film had a great New York. Too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out to our lighting designers like Haley and Milton did a fantastic job. Um, yeah. Shout out to everybody you know, there. I mean, we'll like have links sport. to everything, but I'm I'm always, uh, you know, being being having to play so many roles. I'm always like there's so many people that are involved in this. You know, everyone always thinks of the director and the stars, uh, maybe the writer, but not often. They think of the writer if the writer is the director. <laughs> Otherwise, no one gives a shit about <laughs> the writer. But there's so many people. And um, I remember like when we first started dating and he was getting into animating and graphics and stuff like that, I didn't know anything about it. So right away I was like, can't you just like go to Pixar and apply for a job? He's like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> he's like, I don't do that. And, um, you know, he's like, when we started watching stuff, he's like, do you see this scene right here? He's like, one person worked on that eyeball for weeks and that's all they did. <laughs> and he's like, I don't do that. I was like, oh, that's when I really started to appreciate like, wow, this is so many people coming together and creating something, but um, just working on like one thing, just your job is the wrist and you make that wrist turn and you make this person, you know, this person or character's hair blow to the right. And that's those 17 strands are yours and those 14 strands are yeah, yours. Totally. Um, it's so technical. Which is a big reason why like animation at this kind of level gets made backwards. Like you edit and do the animatics to such an exact and try to get kind of basically picture locked mm -hmm. there before you ever really make it in high fidelity is like, imagine if you're the person who spent three weeks of her life making this wrist work the right way. And then like in the end, the director and the editor are in a room, they're like, this drags, right. like, let's just cut this shot. Yeah, It's like brutal <laughs> for your team it's brutal for your budget, right? You paid that person mm -hmm. to get this wrist looking perfectly. Mm -hmm. So you really have to be pretty sure that like all your shots are very necessary. Yeah. 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 It's one thing to cut a shot that took you three hours to film, but one that took like three months to do. It's to like, do, yeah. Yeah. And someone's like, yeah, oh, exactly. I worked on that. It's it's basically like, hey, I was in this film. They cut my scene out. You know, it's yeah, that. Yeah. Also, except, you know, you were on set for a day versus three months. That's got to be devastating. God, that soul score was so good. You just mentioned soul, and yeah. I was just like, that had a great score. I, I often, I wonder though, a lot of times, and I thought about this during soul. Didn't like, you know, I didn't think about it in the film, like distracting wise. But it, they have a very fine line to to play now because you can, they can easily generate photorealistic imagery. You know, we still struggle with people, but whatever. You know, buildings, nature, and all that stuff. But like, when it gets to that point of like 
if you have this animated character who doesn't have, you know, has these exaggerated proportions, how realistic do you want their skin to look? Because then they start to look mm. like a monster almost, you know, mm. and they still have to look fun and playful and cartoony, but you can't, but if they look too real, that they won't be that case anymore. Um, so I always find that they, they play that balance really well, you know, to making things, textures and everything look really beautiful, but without like, because you, if you were to just, if you were to actually take a character in soul and make it photorealistic, it would be like, oh my God, like, why give, is their face so big? Like Blackheads and yeah. pores. <laughs> it would be weird. So um, yeah. I always find that very interesting. I think the first thing that I watched outside of Pixar that had like that sort of crossed animation was um, Alita. Like that was the first time that, you know, because every time, every time we watch trailers, trailers for video games or something like that, um, it was always like, I'm sold on that environment. I'm sold on this, this, this inanimate object. As soon as the character talked, I'm like, I can tell that's not real. Something about mouths still have not quite gotten the movement of a mouth. It, you know, because there have been times that we've been watching something and they haven't spoken yet. And I'm like, is this animated or not? I can't even tell if this is animated because it's a dark scene. And I'm like, holy crap, this looks like it's actually in real life. And then they move their mouth and you're like, nope. <laughs> but Alita yeah, was the first time. And even there's times in Alita that you're like, yeah. But, you know, watching that on the big screen, you see the imperfection even more. And I was like, this is pretty freaking good. Like, <laughs> this is the best that I've seen so far, just mushing these worlds together and then actually having it look realistic and and organic you know in as as an animation talking to someone and you know having that i thought they did like such a great job and mm -hmm. i thought they were supposed to have another one yeah alleged yeah supposedly yeah, it's, but it's i mean fidelity is amazing and it can really wow you like to our point about that first shot and like putting your you know production value mm -hmm. like kind of into that like if you're pixar and you have a quarter billion dollars to spend on a film like hell yeah like yeah, yeah. <laughs> nail that perfect thing like you know i had a little less than that. Just a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. Just a little bit less. But I would be really inspired by like like Don Hertzfeld, who makes these fantastic animated films. And they're just like these like goofy little wiggly line sketches. But you just believe movies works as a medium so well that you just believe that first image. And then you're in the world and it, it doesn't matter that, yeah. the, you know, the vocal sync isn't right. Like you're like, OK, this is this world and I'm just in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah, and as long as you stick to the rules that you set, then you're then you're good to go. Yeah, um, totally. So I wanted to talk more about you. Um, <laughs> you, sir. Like what what, like what's your story about coming? Like how, which led you to make? I mean, you've made stuff before and you've made stuff after, but like this, you know, this is what kind of grabbed our attention. So what what's the kind of like the story behind it? Like what made you want to do it? And like what made you like this specific thing? And what made you like what were this? You said it took almost two years. So what was that process like? Yeah, for sure. Um, always wanted to make movies, always loved animation, special effects. That's kind of how I ended up in California. Yeah. Um, we all started at the Andrew Kramer School of VFX. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this idea I had kicking around for a little while, and it was really based on the idea of life savings. Mm. I love movies that sort of make me feel a mishmash of kind of different emotions, mm -hmm. like ingredients in a, in a good dish. Um, and so, like, you know, one of my favorite movies, Lost in Translation, makes me feel, like, lonely funny. And I really love that mm -hmm. combination. Mm -hmm. And one day, I was struck by the phrase life savings and how in just this one simple phrase are your hopes and dreams 
and this positive idea, but also our mortality and that we really only have one life and you can spend it on one thing. And there's a real doomed melancholy to that. Mm. And I liked this mishmash feeling, I thought, thinking about it. And I wanted to try to distill that into film. And the story just kind of came in a shot with that. Um, and I thought, you know, this is pretty good. And I was at the time I was debating going to film school. And I thought, you know what, like for the price of film school, I could probably just make this. <laughs> and so that was my approach. Like this will be my film school. And there was a lot of naivete about like <laughs> everything. Mm -hmm. But that was that was my approach. I started by like, I was like, okay, I probably need to know a little bit more about animation because maybe I'll just be able to do it totally solo. And so I found some great online tutorials and just like woke up every morning, sat down on my computer. And I was like, I have to make something every day. Yeah. Oh my God. It's like you Cinema guys were separated at birth. Using. Well, that's just the mindset of <laughs> people that do what we do is that that's how he you have to be able to like it. sit and watch a tutorial just, and learn stuff. Yeah. I just sat and watched she can't, tutorials. She can't learn like through tutorials. I need tutorials. a human being in yeah. front of me. <laughs> no, I did that for like a couple months and I got the basics of modeling and, you know, texturing and lighting and rendering and animating and just like enough that I could really speak the language and convinced myself that I needed a team. It was like, okay, I could make this on my own in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> I could like make a little film production company and like make a team and go. And um, one of the great things about that process, though, was that I didn't even realize was happening was I was building a pitch kind of by accident through that process. I was modeling and making a lot of the things that would be coin operated ultimately. And I was sketching them and drawing them. And so when through sort of sheer luck, I mean, it's like this is a brakes driven industry. I got connected with a real kind of this dude, Rex, who's a super talent in the animation world, kind of an old head of Pixar and DreamWorks, um, you know, working on Shrek and Madagascar and, and you know, Toy Story and these things. And he was spinning up a sort of indie animation company. And I met him for beers and I told him the story of Coin Operated, which just because I don't hold things, you know, close to the vest, I just practiced telling the story a lot. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even realize that I was practicing pitching and really directing is a lot of pitching to your own mm -hmm. cast and crew. So sure. kind of unbeknownst to myself, I'd gotten, I'd prepared myself to do this. And also unbeknownst to myself, I had created a lot of sort of pitch materials just from my practicing and learning this stuff. And so I'm like throwing all this stuff down and bringing up images and little animation tests on my phone. And I'm like, and then I'm thinking like, we go into like this super time lapse and it can look <laughs> kind of like this. And I would show them a janky version. And I think it, a, got across the idea. B, got across that I was like very excited about this and willing to do work. And the story resonated with him. And he was like, yeah, like, let me go talk to kind of my partners. And, you know, but why don't you put together like a formal pitch for this and send it over? And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally. No <laughs> doubt. Just just so we're on the same page. By formal pitch, you mean uh, <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, I really had no idea. Um, I mean, I know what it is, but I just want to know if you know what it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then the next morning, I woke up to an email from him and he was like, dude, thought about your movie all night. Let's just make it. And wow. I was like, sick. And so nice. we were we were off to the races. And I was like, just, yeah, same deal where I'm trying to just fake that I know what I'm doing. And I was like, just so I know that you know, <laughs> what, do, what do you think the next step would be and he's like well we have to hire a producer and a production designer and i was like yeah totally that's what i was gonna say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. nice 
Um, Fake it till you make it. But then we were off. You know, and films, especially indie film, you know, we're like the spirit animal of the indie filmmaker is the honey badger. Like you just, you just got to just keep fucking going. Yeah. And it's this trick of like kind of fake momentum becoming real momentum is at Mm -hmm. least my experience of it where you're like, that's your most precious resource is momentum. Yeah. And you kind of build it up in this fake sense where you're like, yeah, like these things are happening. And like this person said that they'll probably be able to help. And, and you kind of fudge everything a little bit towards like, it's all really happening. And then something mystical happens and the ball actually exists and is rolling. And then it all really is happening. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, It's really interesting that, you know, so much of it is, is that attitude, you know what I mean? And, and, and that mentality of, because I think people want to see the excitement and they want to know, you know, you, you show your, your, your friend, like I have these real rough animatics or I've done this. And it's like, well, these, this person's serious about it and they've done the work. And, and, and then that, that fake momentum quote unquote is then builds into like real, because people start to get on board and start building that. that yeah, exactly. That, uh, I don't know, train, I guess, would it be in this scenario? Get on board the, the corn Animation operated train. train. <laughs> Animation train? Yeah. But I think that that, that passion and, and having that good story and that idea, I would much rather work with somebody who has that creativity but doesn't necessarily have the experience. Because I, I could, you know, anybody can learn experience. You could teach me how I'm supposed to function on a set because it's very different from my set. I'll eventually learn that. But if I'm a shit actor, then, you know, what are you going to do with that? Um, And so you have so many people that know the lingo, you know, they're like, they know the lingo. And if you say clothespin, they lose their mind because that's not what you call it. Extension cord? What? It's a clothespin, okay? (laughs) Like, just (laughs) let's get over ourselves here. Uh, You know, let's not make it sound like a bomb. That's not what it is. Mm -hmm. It's a clothespin. Um, And, you know, you, you you have all of the lingo, but... There's really no ideas that that person can give you. It's nothing fresh. It's just kind of like, well, I, I know how to get from point A to point B. Like, right, but, you know, we're trying to do something different here. So I think, I have a like, good, um, you can kind of get away with that. coin-operated story about oh, that. Oh, good, go. <laughs> um, which I, like, I 100% agree with you that it's, like, talent and combined with just, like, a love of the project. Like, you just have to love it. Mm-hmm. And that's, those are the people you should hire, which I didn't, I hadn't fully internalized this lesson until we hired our composers, Emil and Alex. And I had all this temp music in and I kind of knew that no dialogue, the score was going to be kind of vital. And I had ideas for it. And um, my producer, Jen, was like, hey, I have a, a, a composer for you. I won't say who it is, but they were a real like Hollywood great composer. We worked on these you know, hundred, two hundred million dollar pictures that are really big things. And they were good scores. And I talked to him on the phone. He was a nice guy. And he was like, yeah, man, I liked, I like the script. I like what you've done. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd, it'd be fun to do it. Like, I've always wanted to do a short like this. And, and it was a nice conversation and he got it. And I was like, okay, I guess that's our composer. And I, you know, he has access to an orchestra and all this shit. And mm-hmm. I was like, so I know he's going to return the thing. Right. Simultaneously, uh, one of my good friends, um, was in a band that I loved. And he, well, I told him this story years ago. And for years, he was like, man, that, that story always stuck with me, like about the little kid. Uh, like, if you ever make it, like, can I do the music? And I was like, yeah, all right, Emil. It's like one of my best friends, <laughs> yeah, yeah. kid brothers. Sure, sure. You know? So I was sort of like, whose band I, I loved. And so I knew he could, you know, sing and play bass and write songs. But I didn't sort of like, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. 
And then we just like, we were hanging one night and he really like his love of it came across. And I was like, oh my God, I have to pick Emil and Alex over this like really, you know, this Hollywood guy. But I just knew it in my heart that that was the right thing. But I was scared. Yeah. Because I was like, they maybe can't even just technically deliver. Because it's so different. Yeah. The files that I need. Like, what if this just sounds bad? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, like they don't, you know, I don't, they're working on their laptops in Brooklyn. Like this, yeah. this might not work, but I, I knew I had to do it when he, Emil just sent me a text of him just like, it was an MP3 on his iPhone. And he was like, Nick, man, uh, okay. I, this is what I'm thinking for this, this moment, like the time lapse. And then you hear like the phone fumbling on like a <laughs> piano and falling. And he's like, oh shit, oh, shit, hold on. And it's like there. And then you start to hear him just play you know, this arpeggios on piano for like two minutes and then the fumbling. And then he's like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think it could be good, but like, let me know what you think. I'm so excited. Like, peace, bro. And that totally like kind of got, I mean, he's a good friend, but that like got him the job. I was like that. He loves it. And also the music was phenomenal. And then I would have never known that it wasn't composed by somebody that wasn't doing this. Right. So this is one of the earlier films he did. And I'm so stoked for my friend Emil because he deserves it. He then went on to compose after Coin Operated. He did The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And then this year he's done the score for both uh, Kajillionaire and Minari. Oh, oh wow. Excuse and us. And he's like, like, he, like <laughs> go win a fucking Oscar, Emil. You deserve it. Like he's You're like, I just want my 10 percent finders. Fee. <laughs> <laughs> no, not even like I'm just I'm thrilled that like I got someone like that on my yeah. movie but it goes to to your point uh to share that it's like like you got to pick the person who loves it and has the talent mm-hmm. yeah like kind of over everyone else because you can like the experience can be taught yeah 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 that is actually and it worked out see yeah yeah and that's the point it feels like a little scary to, but it, it i think it i would do that every time yeah like if i find there's... for my next project like i don't know who's gonna who's gonna shoot it and if I find someone who's like young and inexperienced, but like is has a great eye, and I think can photograph really well, excuse me, I sound like oh, I target. love that I'm hitting on something, and then they and they love the movie, and I can tell that they're gonna like grind on it and work on it, and yeah. like want it to work just as much as I do. Like I would hire that person. I was about to say like over Roger Deegan's, but I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You gotta draw a line somewhere. You gotta draw a line somewhere. Somewhere. And any any fellow filmmaker would be like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, yeah. no hard feelings. But like over the it. kind of just like nameless pro DP, yeah. I'd be like, no, I'm going with the like the talent and the love. Unfortunately over for the you and the experience. Unfortunately for you, we have your email and now he's gonna make me send you his reel. No. <laughs> I'm not young, first of all. <laughs> this is true. But uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, we've had, you know, we've had shoots in the past where I'm gonna try to get Deacons first. Just, right, right. Sh- you know, shoot for the movie. Fine, I'll be the, I'll be the backup. <laughs> As well, to you should, fine. Will, will you be uh, the backup to the backup? Yeah, we had, um, like, we've had the same thing where we have people that you know do would do sound for us, and they don't, they're not like a sound person, but they, they are maybe not 100 percent on board with the uh, project because they don't know about it really because you just asked them last minute or something, but they're, they're 100 percent behind you. And so, like, yeah. they're going to support you no matter what you do and try really hard and give it their all. And, you know, those people, without those people, th- no indie film would be made, I don't think, <laughs> especially on our on our budget. You know, I well, mean, I so mean, much of it relies on 
the people that you surround yourself with and and those people showing support for what you're doing. Regardless of what it is, a lot of times they don't even like care. Like whatever you're doing, I'll do I'll do whatever whatever's needed. And like uh, you can't well, in, you can't the, buy that. In the very beginning of us making films, our sound person was a friend of ours that was deaf out of one ear and we didn't know it. Yeah. Because he didn't tell us. And then like a couple years later he was like, Yeah, I can't hear out of this other ear. We're like, What? You were running sound for like two years. Why didn't you say anything? That's why I've been sending you guys mono mixes. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, you guys never picked up on you're that. You're right. The right channel sounds great. I don't know what's going on, on with the left, left here. Uh, but I mean, we didn't know. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't just like. Does it sound to you like our sound person can only hear out of one ear? You know, I mean, yeah. we didn't know. They, but they have the passion for it. But um, they just wanted help. But. On that note, we've had people that helped us that, like, I'm grateful that we had them because we wouldn't have had any sound otherwise. But um, for me, it's always like the first time we had hired an actual sound person and they were like, yes, yeah, send me the script and then wrote back with details about how they felt about the script. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, we've never had that before. Usually yeah. sure sound like, person. I think here would be a really great spot for yeah. this. And th- like you know. prior to that, when your buddy is doing it, um, like we we had a sound person that would, didn't even read the script would just show up on set had no idea what was going on and it's and you know it's like when someone's working for like little to nothing you can't be like read my script but i saw you know i heard the difference when it was like oh this person does it for a living they wanted to read the script they wanted to understand the script and were actually excited you know when when your sound person is like oh my god i love this story i was like what <laughs> like i've never He's heard just that before that. <laughs> Probably, but he no, said that, it the I right think that way. Can make, I think that can make a film like sing. I think all that mm-hmm. love and, and care from so because filmmaking is a team sport. You're totally right that we just sort of put the director and, you know, a few people up here, but it's a team sport, mm-hmm. the actors. And if you can get all the members of your crew to really feel like they're have room to be artistic and to add to it, like everyone will elevate it. That happened on coin operated countless times. And as the person who wrote it and like, it's man, it's the best feeling to watch someone kind of come in in some role and just elevate the whole project with yeah. their, by pouring in their love. It makes me actually think of this is not related to my movie, but <laughs> this idea makes me think of this story. I saw Brian Cranston tell about his time playing the dentist on Seinfeld. <laughs> yes. Have you have you seen yes. that? Yes. Yeah. We're just yeah, just for the audience. I don't. Like, I don't. I don't. I haven't. I don't basically, know. you know what? I, I there was a, when he played the dentist because I always no. Say, I know. I know that scene. Your shtickle of fluoride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like they were they're recording the scene and uh, one of the like grips or like um, maybe a sound guy or a camera op was told Brian Cranston between takes, he was like, hey, you know, it'd be funny. Like when you get the laughing gas and you're about to put it on Jerry, who's nervous about this like oral surgery, you should just take a big hit of it yourself before you put it on. <laughs> and Brian Cranston was like, that is a good joke. And so he did it. And Larry David was like, that's funny. That's great. Let's do that. Use it. <laughs> and that's kind of one of like the best all time, you know, Seinfeld jokes. And yeah. I love that it came from like just someone on the crew who right. was into it, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like that's how a nowadays you probably get, get fired for be like, hey, don't, stay in your lane. Don't talk. Don't <laughs> talk yeah, to that's anybody. That's such bullshit. Like I'm, I'm never gonna run a set that way or ever uh, be involved in a project where well, that's we had bad. a guess. You're fucking well, handicapping your own project because well, you set a ceiling oh, on it it's, of how it's, good you yeah. can imagine it. We have but learned if you're so really much. Collaborative, like 
the ceiling is higher than you could imagine. Yeah, but the, it, what's, what, what gets tricky is as you start to get up, the, this is one of the things that I did, had no clue. So mm-hmm. we, we had a guest on and we were talking and, and they were talking about how as a, you know, the, he's directing the scene. And so he had to have one of the extras do something else. Like, hey, can you hold it up higher or move whatever? So he just asked him like politely. And the guy was like, okay, yeah. So he did it. And um, after the fact, the producer came over and said, hey, remember when you asked that extra well, to do something? Because he was told not to talk to the... Not yeah, to they talk told to him, anybody. like, don't talk to don't the talk. extras or whatever. He's like, what, that, I'm not going to be an, a dick, whatever. So he asked, the, he just straight up asked the the extra to do something, and, and he did it. And then later on, the producer came to him and was like, hey, uh, because you asked that extra to do something, then they went to whoever, and then they ended up getting a bump for the day. So that thing just that cost. you just think cost us like a grand for the day or whatever. So like, and then we got into the whole discussion of how ridiculous that stuff is, and it doesn't make any common sense. So I agree 100%. And I don't think I'll ever have to be at a level where I have to worry about it, to be honest with you. But but it's like it I just hate that structure. I understand the structure is there for a reason. And, and you know, it, it, it works. But at the same time, I think there's some common sense stuff that just is so kind of weird in that environment. You know, like just because you asked an extra to raise up the, the glass a little bit now and kudos for the guy, you know, he wants to make money that great, then do it. But like. I don't know. There should, it shouldn't be like a, a a point of contention. You know, it's so crazy. I think this podcast has done two things. And we initially started, it was like, I went in like, we're going to talk to people, connections, we're going to get the stories, how this really works. It's going to be awesome. And then the more we started talking to people, I was like, wow, this partially sucks in terms of the, the just this sort of strategy that you have to have in order to have a set and um just listening to how limited directors were i mean when we first started i swore i mean i I realized like you know when you're a big time director you have way more say but i just assumed that even on a smaller set you had way more control than you actually did and listening to people who like they're on our show talking to us about their film that they had like actual like actors known actors you know this this had a budget like way huger budget than we'll ever have you know and we're talking to them on our show yeah (laughs) we're talking to them on our show (laughs) and they're like yeah i had no say in casting like i wanted to cast this person and i couldn't cast them and i'm like what are you talking about like this is your film like you you're the director and sometimes the director writer and you had no say like no it was it was you know it was producers in the studio like they ultimately had the say and i'm like that is depressing (laughs) that is so depressing to think that you kind of have to I mean you have to play that that game and that's why I I love Robert Rodriguez so much I may not love everything he does but I love that he was like listen I'm gonna just build the set on my property and I'm gonna film whatever the hell I want on my set because I own it so I don't have to I don't care if the producers are paying for it because I'm paying for it And he just does what he wants to do because otherwise, you know, it's like either you make it and you work on a lower budget or it just doesn't get made because now the producers are going to take over, the studio is going to take over, and it's suddenly not your project anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's. I agree that there's some absurd situations out there. Um, And maybe this is just naivete, but I I kind of prefer to think of them as like rough, dangerous waters to swim in that you kind of have to navigate somehow rather than like a totally fuck situation that you can't come up against and like i love that solution like i'll, I'll build it in my backyard yeah, yeah. exactly okay? like that's that's great that's that's what i honestly love to see is taking that indie filmmaker mentality like a little gorilla 
mm-hmm. vibe and being and applying it to you know a, a ten million dollar movie or a hundred million dollar movie. Yeah, like I think movies would just be better that way. And yeah. even on on giant movies, you can tell when people the people making it loved it. You know, cared yeah. about it, had passion about it, weren't getting distracted by like you know the producer saying like, hey, you can't tell that person to raise up the sign. Like, yeah, yeah. All the extras would never raise that because they were just like jazzed to be part of this mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 But there was such a difference in like you can you there was such a a, a really sharp change in filmmaking from the seventies into the eighties, where I feel like from the seventies below, with the exception of like the forties and fifties were studios and like, you know, that was so so regimented and you you know you it was kind of a horrible place to be <laughs> at that time um but you know when when cinema really started to become more independent you had films in the 60s i feel like the 60s and the 70s um you know say what you will about maybe obviously effects and things that weren't up to par yet but when you watched a film like that you felt like you were watching the film as it was intended to be made i felt like this is the script that they wrote for this and then you like John uh, Hughes, like all these other films, as much as I love them, they felt a bit more scripted, not as much. And then now, like you watch films, and um, you know, it's more like those blockbusters. It's like there's just no, there's no personality to them a lot of the times. It's like they follow a schematic. Like we're making a movie, first act, second act, third act, and that's it. Yeah, but and you they don't got have, me. Yeah, no, they they <laughs> they do. No, they do. But like when you when you watch a lot of films in the seventies, especially like seventies horror, sometimes you yeah. know things went on that you're like. That would never fly now, and not because of graphics, just because of the way they told the story. Well, you can say that about studio, '90s movies. Yeah, but a, a, a studio, you know, a studio from like kind of the '80s mm-hmm. on, they started to become really like strict with how you could tell your story, and you lost that sort of artistic control. Well, yeah, it became more and of a business. Yeah. It became more of a business, and when you watch stuff, sometimes you, I, you know, I've watched films in the '70s, and I'm like, what the hell is happening right now? Yeah, like who, what, like what? <laughs> This was such a weird scene to put in here and it makes no sense. And there's no way that this was the studio's idea. This was the director that was like, no, I want the scene in here. And they were like, all right. And they just left it, you know, because that's what, you, you know, I think uh, somebody used like Woody Allen as an excuse for that, you know, love him or, or hate him or, you know, however people feel. But just as a filmmaker, those films, nobody would have that control, that budget. Mm. now for you know the weird off moments that a woody allen film would have Well, you have your chris nolans you always have like a couple yeah, of people that can kind of like do whatever they want well i don't mean in that way but i mean it, it, you, you know you you have to fight at that level as well too that's how bad it's gotten that you know i've read articles of well of, now especially because, of directors you know. that i'm like oh surely they have a hundred percent control and they're like yeah no i still had to fight yeah, for like scorsese yeah i still had to fight for x y and z yeah. and you're like geez well, really even I bet even in the 60s and 70s, outside of like very, very independent auteur stuff, they felt that would be my guess. I mean, I was born in 83, so I don't know for sure. But that's why I think it comes back. And certainly you can do it in more of an environment where you really have like more control or less control. Mm -hmm. But I keep coming back to like, it's more about the relationship you have with the team because filmmaking always is going to take a bunch of people. And if it's like, if the studio you're working with and the, the actual humans on the other end of those meetings, like don't love the movie you're making and just see it as some cash vehicle right. and you as some marketable asset and it's a toxic relationship. Like, yeah, that person in that studio is going to be a they to you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was going to make a dope movie, but they fucked me. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. But if you partner with people who really do believe in you, believe in the movie, that like you're on the same page about what it is, then I think they can actually add. I mean, I've seen a lot of auteur movies that I just think are unbelievably good. They're in my top movies of all time. But I've also like the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie is this massive thing and it's great for my taste. Yeah. Like, and that's well, a that's giant a th- studio yeah, thing yeah. where people are coming in and being like, hey, we have to sell toys with this. Yeah. This mm-hmm. has to make rides. Like all these other considerations that I can sort of consider anathema to the art mm-hmm. part of filmmaking. Yep. But something about like, and there's other examples of this for different projects, but I just happen to say Pirates of the Caribbean. The people who were like the suits for that loved it enough not to like fuck the whole project. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, I think it's I think it's it speaks to the larger thing of like yeah you can have those movies. I, I love I'll go see every Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. I don't they're fun and I have a great time. But do I think to your point do I think a lot of that way that they treat filmmaking as an art form is toxic? Yeah, probably. But you know, I'm still enjoying myself and I think there's room for both those things to exist. It doesn't have to always be pure art form. It can just be a popcorn flick you go and see and shut off your brain and, and watch big explosions happen for two hours and, and, and it can be fun. And I think I think that we can have that gray area. It doesn't have to be all art all the time or all business all the time. I think there's just a, a lot of uh, a lot of room for everybody to kind of play in there, you know? I mean it's tougher now because, you know, people have to stay in business and people aren't going to the theaters and, you know, it's kind of unpredictable right now, but it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like, I feel, I I don't like when people like say like, like this stuff is ruining films and it's like, well, maybe, but at the same time, those things can be fun because I'll argue all the time that the, that the, the, the $50 million drama doesn't exist anymore. Nobody's making a $50 million movie. That's a drama. There's no way, you know, because there's no way to make their profit back. So yeah, there's, Unless it was a book. Yeah, unless it was a book or whatever, <laughs> or sci- everything sci-fi. Everything is. <laughs> but I think, like, I don't know. I still feel like good things are going I'm to... I'm an optimist that oh, way. I still sure. feel like well, good things are going to come to the top. The cost has come down. That's the thing that people forget. Like, yeah, we're not seeing very many $50 million dramas, but you can make what would have previously cost, like, a yeah. lot of millions yeah. of dollars. For, like, $10 million. Less, like, yeah, and then you get sort of more control. Like, I'm thinking of totally different types of movies from like the vast of night with which just this guy made kind of semi yeah we talked about that film that's fucking great yeah we reviewed that oh yeah did you guys like it oh yeah Yeah, i liked it a lot yeah i I really enjoyed it um and the there's some really interesting uh camera work in that yeah i say that in the positive one really spectacular yeah but he had a lot of like long takes and and um, I really a lot of interesting stuff in that film for that sure. One yeah. that one continuous scene of it her goes like one end of the fucking town to the to other the end. Other, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which crazy. for a movie that's all about sort of audio and radio really grounded the whole movie in its place. It didn't yeah. work that shot. But yeah, that's like there's still good film happening at like all for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, budget levels, you know, and up all the way to I don't know, like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. You know, happens. That's you know, I'm. I don't know. Like, where's the whole of like these films aren't getting made anymore? Yeah, people are making them. Yeah, they which is for great, sure. You know? For sure. I just I just really hate that it's like it's. Oh, I'm talking the, more in terms of like uh, like theater stuff, like theater big budget. You know, you're not going to have a simple mind or not simple mind. What is that? Uh, a beautiful mind. beautiful mind <laughs> is is the example I use. They don't really make movies like that anymore. They do. Those movies still exist, but you would see them on Netflix or they're not. 
they're not as they don't require uh, yeah they, they're not as marketed budget, yeah. I guess as and they don't require fifty million dollars to, to make those type to your point they don't require that anymore but well, I but I feel like it's harder was, to make those types of movies now than maybe before I think a lot before. of that was because of the business I don't know because it it started to become so so strategic that as an actor if you wanted to make something like you you may want to jump onto a project but now it's you know become this whole massive thing because the studios you know clashing with the director or the writer or whoever's involved and you know then something just doesn't get made or you know you start having really toxic experiences on set and so people kind of just started going like I just want to make this and yeah you know, I just want to, I want to play this part, even if I have to take a huge pay cut, like just make the damn movie, you yeah. know? And, yeah. um, and I think that's, that's awesome, you know, but when, when the average moviegoer thinks of films, they think of huge budgets, they think of Warner Brothers, and they think of, you know, Paramount and all these really big inflated uh, budgets that are just unnecessary. And so it's like you have the studio fighting the artistic side of it, which which is unnecessary in so many ways when you if you really budget down like what are we spending money on when you start to hear what oh, gets yeah. spent and what is costing what a day and you're like a day are you crazy why are you you know the 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 few sets that I've been on that were bigger the first thing I thought as soon as I walked in was like what the hell are these people doing here there's way too many people here they're, you're paying too many and they're standing around they're playing basketball over there because there's nothing to do for five hours <laughs> like. Wow, it's like I just saw like money flying out the window the whole time I was sitting there. I'm like, oh my God, there's so much money being spent right now that did not need to be spent. And yeah, but it's being covered, so no one questions it, you know. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things like this is again, it's the weird movies is such a weird blend of art, and there's a financial aspect to it that's weird, but you just have to live in both those worlds. I think one of the things that's helping me make my next movie from coin operated is that people were impressed with our budget and they were like how the hell did you do this for the like independently mm -hmm. for this little money like you must as a filmmaker be good at controlling this somehow right so we're willing to give you a bigger budget and take a another risk on you because we don't we would guess you're not going to have be paying people tons of money to be standing around playing basketball right you're going to be like hungry and run and gun and hopefully turn out something great, which is my goal. But yeah. I'm going to go like, all you're like, okay, we can't make this anymore. It's harder to make this anymore. You guys, I am naively charging full speed in oh, yeah, yeah. all Look, those I'm movies. Not, and and I, I could, I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> so that I'm 100% wrong. I need your wrong. good juju. Yeah. I, uh, and look, there's so, like, that said, there's so many more films being made now than ever before, too. You know what I mean? Because there's so many more avenues. Back when A Beautiful Mind was out, there wasn't like a Netflix or, yeah. you know, Amazon and Hulu and all, and stuff, all and yeah. HBO and all this stuff. And so many more. So I think for people that are coming up, there's so many more avenues to get your film made than, than ever before. But that was and to your of, point, I think that like... That was my point, was that you have like the bigger studios that like they look down on Netflix and all this like, oh, these, these, these damn outlets that are taking our films. And it's like, nope. They had to because you were making things so difficult that people had to find alternatives to yeah. these big studios. Yeah. And think of how many, you know, say what you will about, look, Netflix is still a corporation and we know how corporations run and they're evil. But yeah. they got to make many, a profit every quarter. Yeah, but so. like how many films would have never been made had it not been for Hulu or Netflix or Amazon being like, all right, you know, what I mean? like, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll take a shot. Here's your budget or, you know, so it's like you, you have to have those platforms if you want to be indie because the the big studios you know it's it, it is black or white it's just like either like either you're making clerks 
you know, or you're making a $50 million film, but I still love clerks. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And like, it's no skin off my back. If they, if they have a slate and like, you know, eight of the 10 are just like soulless cash grabs. That's okay. Like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I just won't ever see them. But if that enabled two really wonderful new things that I'll watch and will stick with me for the rest of my life to mm -hmm. exist yeah. that, that otherwise wouldn't have. Fuck yeah, go make all those yeah. cash grabs. Like, <laughs> I don't give a shit. If they're funding like more movies that are good that wouldn't have existed otherwise, mm -hmm. then I call the whole system a success. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and you know, we talk all the time too about like how it doesn't even have to be good, right? If if it's something that somebody was passionate about and someone truly like wanted to tell, maybe I didn't get it. Maybe it wasn't for me, but I'm so glad it, it, that that movie exists. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. I mean, also, I have an adventure in that I am like the easiest critic. I'm like a total pushover. <laughs> like, movies, just movies, I'm serious. Like movies really just, they almost all, even if it's really bad, I'm yeah. like kind of enjoying it until it's so bad that I have to turn it off. But yeah. like for the most part, I just, almost every movie I I get something out of and I'm like happy to see it. I'm like that I used with to be like, sort of like, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I used to be like kind of sheepish about that as like a, a filmmaker and especially an aspiring filmmaker because all my film friends from like film criticism or film studies in academia they had much sharper taste mm -hmm. and they'd also seen much more than me and so i was like oh god like maybe i'm just like maybe my like taste is not good my film palette is like unsophisticated and so i would are you bringing bologna like some... to this party or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like oh, no, he's coming with his bologna like, palette. <laughs> someone would be like, oh, my God, this movie is terrible. Like, yeah. why as well watch You've Got Mail? And I'd be like, oh, no, I, I kind of love You've Got Mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'd be, I'd be like, hold that in. Oh, no. But something changed recently, which is that, so I live in San Francisco, Northern California, and it's wine country up here. And mm -hmm. I've lived here for, you know, 15 years. And over that time, you just kind of like, meet a lot of winemakers and i thought that wine was this like really pretentious like pinky out mm -hmm. you know eh, this is utter swill I, I, yeah. <laughs> but i realized that I'll, like most winemakers there's a industry of wine around that that is that really pretentious like highly critical thing but the winemakers themselves are like grape farmers mm -hmm. right like and they just love wine like that's why they got into it mm -hmm. And they know the difference technically between like great wine and like just okay wine, but they love just okay wine too. Right. Like if someone opens a bottle that's just okay, they're so happy to drink it. Yeah. And like it be have that experience and like have a glass. Because they with know the friends. process too. They can appreciate that yeah. process more. Uh, I feel we like. Watched the, yeah, we and watched they just the... love it in general. And I that chilled me out Damn. about how kind of like easy my film taste was yeah because i was like yeah you know what i'm not gonna mind that i just really like so many movies yeah i'm, the, I'm exactly like, the same way filmmakers are like I can't yeah think i'm exactly the, the same way because i love i love an artsy film i love you know a film that is like experimental but i also love a big dumb movie you know what i mean i i'm a i am a sucker for anything science fiction i will watch it yeah, i don't same. even care how bad it is um, and I'll probably like. I'm like, it. give and me the so, new Shane Carruth and give me the new Marvel. Like, I don't, yeah, I'm in for all of it. <laughs> I, I'm in, but you know, I, I and I feel like I don't know. That's the part of the 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 Hollywood machine, quote unquote, that I just I, there's that pretentiousness. But I mean, it is what it is. It's to your point earlier. You know, like if I have to make a movie in the studio system um, to tell a story, then I can use that those funds maybe that I've made on that film to then turn around and tell the story that I really want to tell, for example, you know? So I think 
I think there's a benefit to both, and I have no shade against anybody that is in the studio that's a, 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 a director for hire. You know what I mean? A lot of people, like, they want to be a filmmaker, but yeah, you know, I'll, I will absolutely film a movie of the week for sci-fi. I have no problem doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where I'm just a hired gun, and I think there's a lot of value in that. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, you can take a lot of pride in that because it's, you know, you're making art. You're making a living doing an art in this day and age. I think it's so hard to have a creative career. You found it? Well, I'm about yeah. to head into the, the studio system and trying to make a, a very weird movie. So nice. wish me luck and I'll report back. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I was just we, trying we to... Know, we knew you when. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think because it was driving me nuts when you started talking about wine. I'm like, what the hell was the name of that movie? We'd watched a documentary called Blood Into Wine with Maynard from I've Tool. I've seen it. Um, so Tool's like my favorite band ever, ever, and I love Maynard. And so he did... Respect. <laughs> so he did a documentary. I was like... And I was... It was an old Love documentary. Those weird time signatures. <laughs> yes. Love them. Do um, they even have time signatures? I feel like they're just doing whatever. Yeah, it's called Tool. It's <laughs> yeah. Tool's time signature. <laughs> okay. It changes every every measure. They change their... <laughs> yes. Like when, what was this like a running joke when somebody says, what time signature are they on? And someone answers, yes. <laughs> like, um, and so he had been in a documentary that I didn't even know about. It was like, or it's like 10 years old. And I was like, how have I not seen this? Um, so he has his own like vineyard that he had opened up and he has his own wine and he it's in had like Arizona though, yeah, it's right? like in Arizona and he had um, uh, made a wine for his mom that he had named after her. And so he had this like really fancy pants wine connoisseur come in with his fancy little suitcase and he did a tasting and Maynard's just like, his face is completely stoic through the whole thing. Like you could tell he really didn't give a shit. He was polite about it, but he really didn't care if this guy thought his wine was the best. And he did critique quite a bit of it and kind of like take a couple jabs here and there. But Maynard was just like sipping his wine, like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. <laughs> like, I still like it. And then I went on, online and I was like, hey, I wonder if, I nope, never mind. It's like $300 a bottle. Forget it. I'll never taste it. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, but it, it was just like that was his, that was his passion. And I, I think that he's most likely aware to open a vineyard. You would have to know maybe this isn't the best in the world. But it's still, he still dug it, you know, and it's Maynard. So it's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, how can he not do something cool? But uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, one of my, my the, the biggest pet peeves I have is like when people are like, yeah, I worked on this film for nine years. And then they talk about the film for like another five years. And I'm like, Jesus, I could have made like 12 films in that time. I just don't have patience for that. I'm the worst person for marketing because as soon as I'm done with something, I'm like, what are we doing next? What's the next? I have 17 stories completely written. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's film we've something. Always had, we've always struggled with, terrible. with marketing. You're, you know, you're supposed, and so 2020 was going to be our year because we had finished Battle Sign. We're like, all right, we're going to market this the way we're supposed to. And then COVID was like, I don't think so. <laughs> so we're like, never mind. <laughs> But I just, you know, I can't, I couldn't work on a project for over a decade. I just, I physically couldn't do that. It would drive me crazy because I have so many ideas that I would want to get out there. And I just like, I don't know, if we make something and I, in the end, I'm like, wow, that. Well, this short, this animated short film is probably going to take me a decade. It's going to take a decade. We were, <laughs> we were supposed go. to that, have That it. might be the difference between a writer and an actor and a director. Like a director might be like. Yeah, I, I can work on this for 10 years. I'm not going to be happy, but like... He couldn't. <laughs> probably it. worse but than But a writer her. is like Stephen King, like prolific, like get him out. And actors are like next project, next project. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm a writer-actor, so it's like I'm always thinking of the next, next project. But then as a film partner, I have to 
kind of live in that longer than I would like to because we have to, but he's just as bad as I am with it. So because it's for like, me, it's like I want to make the next film because obviously because I love creating stuff, but also I want to take what I learned from the last film and apply it to the next film to make that film that much better than that one. And so <laughs> for me, it's like budgets and cameras and equipment and stuff is like whatever. Obviously, I want the best I can afford, but you know, it's like whatever. I just want to make this film better than this film and take all of my mistakes out of this. And there'll always be mistakes, but maybe there'll be less than this one and it'll look nicer. You guys would struggle to have made Boyhood. Oh God, yeah. There's no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't. No. I couldn't. Although the, the, the subject or, is- Or uh, how to be a God or what's well, the- Well, if you, if you break it up that way. Yeah. So it's, you know, like you're, there's a growth pattern. So it's like, it's not the same thing, but- Or silence. Silence would yes. be a tricky one for you. Yes, it, yes. <laughs> It's just, and it's weird though, because it's like, you know, I I would certainly adapt to it if I had to, especially if, um, if someone's like, here's your budget, uh, but this is going to be slow moving. Like, all right, Hey, look, um, you're giving me a budget. Like we'll, we'll work it out. But it's just preference wise. I'm always like, I want to, I want to fix whatever mistake I made. And I don't look at it as like, Oh my, I can't believe I did that. And I ruined that scene or shouldn't have done that for me. It's just like, all right, well that happens. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I've watched a boom mic dip into a scene on a $50 million film that should never happen on that set, but it did, you know? So, I mean, shit happens. And so we'll fix it in post, fix Mm -hmm. it in post. But yeah, I have a, I have a shirt that, um, my friend Kat gave me that says, uh, Fix it. What is it? it says uh, fix it on post, and then post is crossed out. It says post on is crossed set. Out, fix it on uh, fix it on set or something like that. Because that's very much how we are. And going back to the storyboarding thing, it's like we don't we don't have the money to make mistakes. So that's more of well, why we're. I've taken out quite a few boom poles and lights. Yeah, but I mean, films. like major, you know, major stuff. I think you know when it this last film was like the first time that we were like we're gonna have to refilm that scene. That usually never happens because we can't afford to do that. And even this time, surprise, I had surprise, to... we ran out of time because somebody took too many takes. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who that would be. <laughs> but even then, it was like, okay, I have to rewrite this scene and be the only actor in it. Because guess what? I can't afford to pay to bring everybody up from the city again and then house them for two days. Like, we don't have it. So I have to rewrite the scene and I'm going to be the only one in it because I don't pay me. And, <laughs> and let, we'll figure it out. Um, but you know, talking about budgets yeah, and things. Yeah, you see so much, though, like, creativity come out of those constraints. For Data, sure. Yeah. For sure. Like, yeah, just, like, you see wonderful movies that have a, a style that you would never guess came from budget constraints. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my favorite part of this was that it used a narrator. Yeah. You know, like, amazing decision. And like, what a genius filmmaker. And then you, like, talk to the filmmaker or hear, read a book or see an interview and like, oh yeah, we couldn't afford to do, like I wanted to film this whole space battle, but I, I just settled for a narrator like shooting a book and being like, the Quarn defeated the yeah, yeah. laser yeah. knots. It was yeah. supposed to be James Earl Jones. <laughs> oh, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be James Earl Jones, but he got kicked in the throat by a horse. So we had to find somebody else and, you know, just something weird like that, that just yeah. works. Yeah. And I think that goes back to like, I think as the creator, you're thinking it won't be the same unless I have that big battle scene. And to the audience, it didn't matter. They were fine with the yeah, narrative. They you don't know. know. They don't, <laughs> they don't know, know that. Yep. Exactly. They didn't know. Yeah. But um, So bef- I was going to say, what was the next thing? Is oh, that yeah. what you're going to ask? <laughs> no, before before we get to that, I just wanted to ask real quick because um, probably I'll get yelled at if I don't ask, is the technical specs of the film. So like what did you oh, yeah, animate okay. in and you know, what what software and programs and stuff did you, did you use just so I know? So the tech sure. nerds get so their the, yeah, film. Yeah, so the tech yeah. nerds get their fill, yeah. 
Um, so the bar we set for ourselves was like a feature production bar, which mm-hmm. was kind of crazy. I don't know that that's what I'd recommend, but <laughs> that's what we set. And so we tried to use the feature animation suite. So we animated in Maya, mm-hmm. um, composited in Nuke. We rendered with RenderMan, which we were able to get, you know, as an indie film, just a license for it. Just mm-hmm. asked. Um, yeah, kind of the standard, like, big projects, Maya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's fine. I was hoping <laughs> yeah, it was cinema, I mean, but that's like, fine. <laughs> what, are you, what are you thinking? I was hoping it was cinema, but that's fine. I love cinema. I find cinema way easier to work in. I love it. I love it. Yeah. But see, it, it was still very lovely. Oh, yeah. No, look, um, tools don't dude, matter. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Blender that look, that look great. Yeah, they're like, amazing. The tools don't matter. Cameras don't matter. I, you know, I have a, I use a black magic, but I'm not going to not make a film because it's not a, an Ari. Like, I, I don't so, yeah. it's gonna, it's, It'd it's be all. nice. But it's nice. I, I like to know but. because I like to, I, I like to, <laughs> I like to like just see what people are using and what they can use, do, do with it yeah. and, and that sort of stuff. It's, it's always yeah. good to kind of like keep your ear to that. Like I'm a, I'm a. It was a Maya project. Yeah. So. I'm a, I'm like a tech person. I love cameras and I love gear and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. We almost shot one of our films on a DSLR because my camera was in the shop. So like, I don't really care. Like, I just want to tell stories. It, the, they're all just tools, you know. We've seen films that are shot on Reds that look like crap and shot on DSLRs that look amazing. So none of that stuff really matters to me. Um, yep. Outside. I mean, of it's the, now it's like it's such a marketing gimmick to be like, this yeah. is shot on a phone. Yeah. But yeah. like Tangerine was just a great movie. Yeah. You know, like. Although there there is some debate. There was a, a debate that was going around on the Twitterverse about the um, anybody with an iPhone can make a film. It's that easy. And so then it was like this whole thing about um, it's not easy again. Like an iPhone's like a grand, you know. I don't know. Yeah, it but was, most it, people have an yeah. iPhone. I think that was the Twitter. Point. Twitter is just a, a cesspool. Yeah. <laughs> But it was kind of Here's interesting. It was kind though. of interesting to think about, like, because when I hear that, that's automatically what I think. Like, well, everybody has an iPhone, so they, if you want to make a film, you can. But not everybody has an iPhone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's so many people in this country that want to make films that can't for whatever social economical reason, and they, you know, so for someone, it, it it can be very demeaning to somebody who can't afford an iPhone to just make it sound so easy. So. Point is, it was just like an interesting debate of a perspective I never thought about when I heard that phrase. Because you hear it all the time. Yeah, you I always just hate, hear it. I just hate the gimmick of like, um, like Unsane. I don't know. Uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Unsane. Um, uh, uh, the guy who did Haywire and uh, so, Soderbergh. Soderbergh, yes. Yeah. So Soderbergh filmed un- Unsane like on an iPhone. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You have so much money in it. Yeah, that's a little bit more gimmicky, it's, maybe. It's, it is, absolutely. Because it's you're, borderline you're spending, insulting because you're, you're like, spending a million dollars on do. a film, but you're filming on an iPhone. Uh, you, and it's yeah, like, you filmed it on an iPhone, but you know, it's you still had to get like attachments and th- you know what I mean? Like you didn't just you run around a, on your you iPhone. You had a post production facility. Yeah, you had post, you had if people you want lighting. To prove, if you want to prove that you can make it on an iPhone, then just use the iPhone and nothing else. You know I don't know. I just feel like it would have been more effective to with that clout to have been like, hey, I'm I'm doing a, a contest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, it's something about the the approach. Like if it's just he's kind of like this is gonna be a kind of a gimmick of it, that's one vibe. Yeah. But like, you know, if it turns out that Spielberg was just like trapped in quarantine this whole time and he was just like, I, I want to be making movies and so I shot like kind of around my house with my family and Absolutely, an iPhone, yeah. I would be so like my sold boy David Samberg. David Samberg. You love David Samberg. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> I love David Samberg. Um, I yeah, guess no. my response to it was years ago that Soderbergh did it. To what you said earlier, though, like 
I think you can get away with a pretty cheap picture. And like the question is like, what's the minimum that I need? Audience, I think, will forgive like if the lighting is not perfect, if the rendering isn't perfect, if whatever software you use or camera right. is not great. As long as your first images are okay and the story is getting across, I think they'll forgive it. I think the real baseline that you have to get over is audio. 100%. Audiences yeah. won't forgive shitty audio. Yeah. And so you need to, there needs to be some investment of money and expertise to get your audio to a decent level. Mm -hmm. But then once you're there, I think, you know, almost anything goes. The better, the better. Yeah. But you're, you're going to be okay. Your film will be fine and feel professional. Yeah. And yeah. you never, you never, um, you never hear like a, a film noob going crazy over like the best boom mic to use. Just right away, yeah, the first so thing the first they camera. say is, totally, we got a red. I think what they should. Like you got a red, great, but you have no lenses for the red. I mean, you're filming on a shitty lens, so it doesn't matter that you're just filming raw, on a red. Just raw yeah, sensor. Just, just, <laughs> yeah. just, no, like, no lenses yeah, at no all. No lens at all. Just, <laughs> it looks like. <laughs> it's fucking like 10 ND filters <laughs> in front of it and, and a prayer. <laughs> It looks like you filmed it on an iPhone, but you, you know you filmed it on this really expensive camera that you didn't know how to use, and um, uh, you know. But then nobody really goes like, "Hey, what's the best boom mic to use?" Because that's always like, "We'll just yeah. we'll just slap a, a, a you know a, a mic onto the camera," and you're like, "That's a terrible idea," <laughs> but you're gonna do it anyway. Mm. Um, that was always something for us that even from the beginning we were aware like our audio is not where it should be like our audio needs to be better. It needs to be better. We would go to film fest and it was like, what, what's taking me out of my own film right now? It doesn't sound as good as this other film shit. You know, like yeah. we were worried about finding the coolest location and this and that, and it doesn't sound as good as it should sound. It sounds really tinny or echoey. And, um, you know, the, the, the obsession that so many new filmmakers have with like ADR, which is like, I get it. It sometimes has to happen, but I'm, slightly appalled by how much people rely on it like it's just it's such a fix it well, impulse. you can like, do that we'll just adr it do. and i'm like but, but get why that good though too yeah but like you know why <laughs> why are we not capturing this sound right now on set like we just need to have like a, a decent boom mic like why are we doing this afterwards and we watched the movie like an indie film that it took me right out i mean you can tell the scene was adr'd and i was just like I don't even want to watch this anymore. I'm really, really not invested in this at all. And the story was already like barely mm -hmm. holding my attention. So I was like, we got like <laughs> a string here. And then that scene came and I had read about like, yeah, they just ADR'd it like however many months later. And I'm like, I know, but I know that. That's my point is that I know you ADR'd it. Yeah. And it's not, it wasn't a sentence. It was an entire scene that got ADR'd and um, I hate that. I absolutely, sometimes we watch like films from, you know, I, we were just watching something. I don't know, it was like maybe a 15 or 20 year old film, big budgeted film and I'm like, oh, this was ADR'd? <laughs> like, I didn't notice this in the late 90s or early 2000s when I watched it, but as a filmmaker you're watching it and you're like, this is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What happened? Although. It'd be interesting to see the chart of how many times we picked up on it and how many and times didn't. we didn't and it was done. Yeah. So, do it to your right. point, I think That's it's cool. like, do, do yeah. it right. Do it right. Do it. But yeah, I don't care how it's done in the audience. It just has to be good. Yeah. yeah. But chances are, if you're a first-time filmmaker and you have a $1,000 budget, you're not going to give me fantastic ADR. So, yeah. you know, you really, like, that's something you really have to think of on set. Yeah. It, yeah, it but yeah, if you're trying to make a thousand dollar film, I would say, you know, get get the best actors you can. Like script is free, story is all free. 
you know, for time, get the best actors you can, and then put so much of your money into sound, yeah. for, like from an equipment standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Get it sounding as good as you can. Yep. And if you've got to shoot it on like my two-year-old's little plastic camera, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a million bucks, like audiences will believe. Yeah. The, the we'll just say that was an artistic that be the, choice. That the, was an artistic if, choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If budgets, because budget, I pretty much do all of our posts. So if budget allows for a post, the first place my film goes is to an audio mixer, you know, yeah, to get the exactly. dialogue going and, and, you know, getting that stuff sounding, you know, yeah. as good as it can. Because I, you know, I, I played in bands and I know a little bit about audio and stuff, but that's, that stuff is just on like a whole other level, you know? Yeah, like something like Carol, you know, shot mm -hmm. on Super 16 and it just feels warm mm -hmm. and lovely. That could just look shitty and grainy, but I think a big part of the spell is like, yeah, well, you shoot it on like, you know, talented people shoot it on Super 16 and then it goes to Skywalker Sound. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like it, you, all the stuff that's not in the frame, you're hearing perfectly. Yeah. And so it just feels really high production quality. Yeah. So what's the Skywalker next project that you're working Sound. on? Um, what can you tell us yeah, about the say, next project yeah, that you're working on? Yeah. An animation um, or it's li it's live action. Oh, okay. It's a it's a feature. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, All right, we'll get it's... we'll get the deets off air. You guys aren't cool enough for this. You'll have to wait. It's going to be a fun <laughs> one. I have not seen a movie like it, which has been a real challenge. Having I I've been just sort of finishing writing it uh, during COVID um, and uh, not a ton of reference. It's kind of a unique film so i nice. think it works i'm really excited about it and i'm excited to see if anyone else is entertained by it but it is a existential dramedy absurdist western <laughs> all right you got almost right. everything in there i'm in <laughs> yeah i'm already in yeah those are aliens no damn it <laughs> would have been the trifecta if there was aliens next time yeah next time so um well, we'll but have... i hope to come back on this show like a oh, while oh totally i'll just be I'll be like out of the studio system and I'll be this grizzled jaded. <laughs> have a beard yeah, down to yeah, here, like, gray hairs everything everywhere. Everything you said was right. They fucked me. Yes. <laughs> I talked to an extra and it all went downhill from <laughs> My there. My budget went out the window. <laughs> I had a 20 minute conversation with an extra and the film got shut down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they sent me to, I'm doing this from Guantanamo. They sent me after it. And I'm filming, filming on a potato. Yeah. <laughs> they took our camera away and now I'm filming on a potato. Um, well, we're going to have all the, we're going to have the links to, to coin operated and, and to your, um, uh, your Instagram and everything. Um, but thank you so much for being on. We'll have mm -hmm. you back when you're done with the secret film. Yeah. When and we'll get to talk yeah, about it. It was a lovely, to, lovely to chat with you I guess you we'll have to go through your publicist at that point, at but that that's point. fine. Well, we're going to hang up now, but <laughs> we're not really going to hang up. So we'll maybe get a little bit more information yeah. <laughs> for ourselves. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye. Well, that was Nick. Nick. Arioli. Man, we're gonna, have, we're gonna have the links for uh, for all of all the stuff. Yeah, for this. Well, for for the film, and you should definitely. It's it's short. It doesn't take a lot of time. No. You have no excuse. Yeah, no, it's no it's excuse. amazing. It's, it's adorable. Really, really amazing. Um, and so thanks so much for him for being on. He's a great. We chatted with him out offline for like another hour. It seemed I don't even know. He has to be like, listen, guys, I have a hey, life. I gotta go. Can all right, you, um, can you shut the <laughs> hell up. You shut the fuck up already, please. <laughs> fuck. Um, my world doesn't revolve around Go Gorilla. Okay. Sadly, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so shout outs are to MoGraph.com. MoGraph. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> How was that? Um, send us an email or hit us up on the Instagram at Go Gorilla Film. Yeah, yeah. At also, Film at Gmail. If you have any questions for us, yeah, you know, if you're like, hey, I want to know what tickles your fancy, so to speak, uh-huh. just send us over that question. Not that kind of podcast, tickling fancies and whatnot. Maybe if we were, we'd have some, like more sponsors. And, yeah, and we'd have all kind of kinds of money. Yeah, we'd have monies. You know, maybe all this right. would be a, a, a monetary. Join adventure. us next week when we tickle your fancy. <laughs> Tickling your fancy with Paul and Sashia. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't. I don't know. I don't know what's happening next week. I have no idea. Yeah. It's things gonna be just, a surprise. just going to be stuff. Yeah. There's just going to be stuff happening, and we're watching films, and things will be going on. Um, anything new? Does anything new happened? Uh, probably. Paramount. Paramount. <laughs> Paramount. Paramount. They're doing like Paramount Plus or whatever the hell. Yeah. We'll That's see what gonna happens. Be... Everybody's going to have their own streaming service. Yeah. It's the Wild West. Remember when we talked about this, like it was this really far-fetched, like, oh, that's probably never going to happen. If it'd it be wasn't cool. for COVID, it wouldn't Yeah, it, it'd be cool, but it'll probably never happen. And uh, and then it's uh, just like that. Yeah, just, just like that. Just like that. And uh, here we are. Here with, we are. We're with pluses. Everyone's got a, a, a plus. Yeah. Discovery uh, didn't, they, they didn't uh, con me into that. Oh, no? No, I, I mean, I see commercials for stuff and I'm like, I'd watch that. That's interesting, but I'm not I'm not jumping onto another platform. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just too many because at, at that point it becomes I, more expensive than traditional cable. So. Exactly. So I'm no longer really saving money if I yeah. if, you know, we have like 97 different platforms to, to watch movies on yeah. sneaky bastards. Um, but yeah. So if you have questions or anything you recommend us watching, send it our way. Yeah. And we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.